It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the college basketball edition presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Chad Brendel from Bearcat Journal, Rick Boring from Musketeer Report. Guys, I, I don't even know where to start with this. I don't. Um, I, get, I guess the, the part for me, and, and, and I th- and think about this, is it, it just feels like when this kind of stuff happens, and it's not the only teams that happen to in this tournament, it just feels like the regular season meant nothing. It meant absolutely nothing. And, that, and that's unfortunate. It really is. I mean, basically. That's the nature ba- of the sport. That's what they've created. That's what they've created. And I don't know how to fix it. Should we fix it? Is there a fix to it? No. Um, unfortunately, it's still the best made-for-TV no sporting doubt. event every year. Agreed. I think everyone involved with it that has the success of making a run and, and making a Final Four, making an Elite Eight, making a national title game appearance, any of that stuff, still feels like it's worth it. Like they, It still feels good enough when you accomplish that that no one wants to give away that feeling. It just sucks that, like you said, your whole season is boiled down to a one-game scenario where anything can happen and the best team doesn't always win. Yeah, I mean, it, four months of, of success for both, four-plus months, whatever it is, is, is wiped out in 11 minutes. Wiped in, in out both in games. A, in yeah. both games. Wiped out in 11 minutes. And I wish there was a fix to that. I, and I, I, I don't have an elixir for it. I wish There's I not. Win. There's nothing you can – like, you can't go – 16 teams and you go series you can't like there's no fix to it 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 is the monster that it is and you just have to accept being a fan of the sport you never know what that one game brings up 22 with with 11 minutes left up 12 with 11 minutes not and not and not as the underdog in either case as the favorite in both cases and as the favorite in both cases with the bracket wide wide open in front of you and you you can't take advantage of it and Fans completely melt down, and and you know the two incredible seasons are completely fr- flushed down the drain. All right, they're they're scarred now. The, the legacy of Trayvon Blewett and Gary Clark goes down as in their senior year they couldn't get out of the round of thirty two. Yeah, I mean, th- th- yes, correct. That's what it is. I was talking about UC first because they're the, the the loss that happened first. Twenty up twenty two. In a nutshell, when you're what 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 happened? What went wrong? How could it have been stopped? I think, and we've we've talked about this with these West Coast teams that are much more offensive minded than defensive minded. They get up twenty two, and I think they just got for a three minute stretch. They get careless. They start taking early jump shots. Cumberland took a three. Broom takes a long jumper. Broom takes a three. Jacob Evans turns it over. And then those four trips, Nevada goes layup, three, three, layup. And a 22-point lead is now 12 in the blink of an eye. And the problem with Nevada, and we saw it the same thing against Texas, they were terrible that entire game, but then they see just a couple shots fall. And they're number six in the country in offense for a reason. Right. They see a couple shots fall, and then it's a tidal wave for them, and they the, the basket gets huge. And they think, you know, here we go. This is our run. And they made it, and UC couldn't stop the avalanche. What, what could Mick Cronin do to stop that avalanche, if anything? Because certainly the, the finger of blame gets pointed to him, and that's just the way it goes. Yeah. I, the problem with it is, I think, in that, in that short, you know, 90, 120 seconds – 
there's not a whole lot you could have done at that point in time because you, as it's happening that fast, what, like, I'm sure the instruction to them was to start slowing it down in order to start grinding out the you know a 22 point win. But they were throwing that goofy pressure at him. Kane yeah. was getting the ball right where you want him to get it in the middle of the floor attacking with numbers a yeah, lot of times. Yeah, they came right out of the under 12 timeout and they changed their strategy and you see panic just slightly and Nevada stepped on their throat really quick, really quick. Cuz it was down to 12 before you even had a chance to really grasp like uh-oh. And then Mick calls a timeout at 12. And then they start slowing it down, but at that point it's twelve, and they're hot. So now you're trying to grind out a win for nine minutes with a twelve point lead against a team that's that's coming really fast. Right, and, and it wasn't out, but but it, but as an elite defensive team, you can't let that happen, right? It happens. Teams get hot. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like Nevada was making a bunch of just wild three point shots. They made a couple of those. But a lot of it was driving to the rim and getting fouled. Some of those I thought were a little bit questionable. But still, they drove the lane, got con. They, you know, they stretched UC out at the initial part of it. And then they attacked off the bounce and got to the rim and got fouled and converted the free throws. And I mean, yeah, that's great to say as a, as a defense, you got to stop that. But Rick, it's what we've talked about all year. An elite offense is eventually going to get going. Cincinnati didn't match them. At all, you know, if they score fourteen point or sixteen points in the final ten minutes instead of ten, they win, and they they just they completely locked up and and got away from everything that had been successful the first thirty minutes. Credit Nevada for changing the defense and changing the look, but you got to figure out an answer at some point in time. I think you hit the nail on the head when this matchup first came out when you said the thing that scares you about Nevada is they're one of the teams that will take and make bad shots and just play as individuals, one-on-one. And when they started to make their run, that's what was happening. They weren't trying to run stuff because UC takes you out of what you want to run. That's why they're so good defensively. Nevada wasn't trying to run anything. They were going one-on-one, get the right matchup, get one ball screen and get it to who the guy they wanted to attack. And then attack. that guy made a play, whether it was getting to the rim and getting fouled or getting in the lane and making a floater or hitting a tough three like the one that tied it, which was, to me, the, the shot that just kind of, what are you going to do? Kyle right. Washington's out on, on Martin, and he just jab right. steps him and bangs a three right to tie the game. The and that one felt devastating in terms of the momentum of the game just because it was like, it felt like UC was leveling off and was like, okay, they're going to be all right. And then you get that to tie it. And like you said, the momentum just couldn't be stopped defensively, Nevada did something really, really smart, which is, to me, UC's biggest flaw all season. And that was that, like, Justin Jennifer is out on the floor playing the two guard. He's not even bringing the ball up. He's just an extra option on the court. Or later in the game, in this case, there was Trey Scott in that same position where, obviously, he's not going to be bringing the ball up the court, but he's just a guy out on the court that they didn't guard. They just quit guarding Justin Jennifer or Trey Scott. Doubled Jacob. And doubled whoever. Yeah, they, they had basically a, another helper to just run at the ball. And UC had nothing to do with that. Like, their guys are getting overwhelming pressure, and they throw it to Trey Scott or Justin Jennifer wide open, and they're not going to take a shot. So there was no penalty for it. You also had, when Nevada turned up the pressure, UC's guys are trying to break the pressure and then come across and look at the sideline to Mick for what are we supposed to do now because we're trying to slow it up and run clock. Again, there's no penalty for Nevada putting all that crazy pressure in the backcourt and on the ball. So then they're able to still set up and play half-court defense after that fact. I thought that was the the biggest issue for UC. But a lot of fans are going to be quick to say, well, Mick shouldn't have slowed it up. He shouldn't have done this. He shouldn't have done that. Another UC offensive collapse. 
Maybe you can make that claim as they trim that lead from 22 down to a more manageable lead. But as Chad said, that also happened very quickly. Later in the game, I thought UC did some of the right things. Like Jacob Evans drove in the lane, missed a floater. Uh, Kane Broom got near the rim, missed a layup that he should have made. Like got, got Kyle Washington should have dunked a ball and, yes. and missed like, a bunny. There were three or four or five opportunities where they could have stopped the bleeding when it was still a five, six, seven point game, whatever, right in that range. And you feel okay about it because there's only two and a half, three minutes left in the game. And they just couldn't finish those plays. And that's not on Mick. That's like someone's got to make a lap. Someone's got to finish a shot. Someone's got to grab a rebound in those situations. And they didn't do that. We'll also get into this, I'm sure, with Xavier. But I thought officiating on one specific call, I, I didn't. I thought it was choppy both ways, but I didn't feel it was was unfair both ways, except for two minutes left. UC has the ball up five. Kane Broom executes a dribble handoff, and they call, I guess, an illegal screen. Oh, it was a good call. He ran full speed into him and stuck well, his ass. But he's handing it's the ball off. He's, he's entitled the, to that space. No, but you can't run right through the defender. I mean, that's a moving screen 100 times. you got to stop and hand that off. You can't run yeah, through the defender. I, it was an easy call. Easy call. Yeah, I, mean, I, I said like it as it, soon yeah. as it happened. I, I I honestly thought it was a push-off initially on the thing until they showed the, the rear-end view, and then they called that. I, 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 the one other thing I'll say is— I it, mean, that, what is a moving screen if not that? I mean, you can't dribble full speed into a guy and turn like turn as you're doing. That is a moving screen. He's spinning his body and he's running full speed into a defender. Yeah, I, it's I, the I, definition of a moving screen. Well, then you need to call it every single solitary time, and it doesn't get called every. It, it rarely gets called. Rarely. Well, the the thing that was different about that is one, you a lot of times see the guy stop right you're before right. he does and the that, dribble handoff. That's right. Plants yes. his feet and stops. Yes. Kane never did that. He dribbled straight through it and turned his body as he was doing it. The turn of the body is the part where it's like it's an easy, easy call. I would say, though, just in, in general about officiating, it does feel like in, in this tournament, and it's, it's trickled up to the NBA, it's trickled down as well. It, it feels like officials are looking to make calls as opposed to calling what they see. I'm just talking about across the board. Oh, I think I think officiating is incredibly inconsistent, and I think you're absolutely right about the fact that, especially at the college level, they love making certain calls yes. at momentum building yes. moments where it's like a big thing. It's a yes. big show, like Cumberland fouling out. I, I thought both of those were questionable. His fourth and his fifth. The fourth on the block charge, I thought could have gone either way, and then the fifth on the loose ball. He's just going for a loose ball. Like, yeah, I, I think it's when you don't blow the whistle if the other guy gets the ball. If right. he knocks the guy down and you dislodge him, he doesn't get the ball. You see it sometimes. A guy will put up a shot, and the official, if you run over somebody, if it goes in, they'll, they won't make a call of any kind. If it doesn't, they'll make the block charge call. Usually it's a blocking foul call because they, they want to give some reward there. I, I'm okay with that. But on that kind of a ball, I, you, you got to be looking to make a call there. If you get dislodged and knock a guy down, sure, you got to blow the whistle. I, I just, I'm not found a guy out there. I'm and just that, not. That brings us to Mick whether or not to remove him. I don't know what you think, Rick, but he picked up his fourth foul with like 5.15, I think, 5.25, something like that. That's, to me, not a, a place to take a guy out of a game. Like, Well, especially at the point where Nevada was in the comeback already. Right. It wasn't like UC was on stable footing and they had an eight or nine-point lead that you felt good about. It was like, this thing is coming unraveled. Jaron's been our best player the last two games. He, he has to be on the court. I, I, I didn't really have a big problem with Mick saying, we're not going to make the final two or three minutes if we don't have Jaron on the court right now. Right. So we've got to leave him out here. I never have a problem with the coach doing that. You bet, on, you bet on your guy. Like, Eight minutes, nine minutes, yeah. Like he picks up a dumb fourth foul. You sit him for a couple minutes until you get to the five-minute mark or whatever. But well, you were already there. Agreed. I, I don't disagree. I, I, I do think if there had been a dead ball chance to get him out on defense, he probably would have done that play offense defense. But there really wasn't. So at that stage, you've got to leave him in. And hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't think Mick's the type of guy that likes to admit mistakes 
mistakes and that he would have changed what he did. But like, had he known that was going to happen, sure, maybe he takes well, him out for yes. two, two and a half yes. minutes and then right. tries to bring him out for the last three. But your thing is, we defend really well without fouling. I'm going to bet on one of my best guys that he'll he'll help keep us in this if I leave him out on the court for the next two and a half minutes, even if he does foul out in two and a half minutes. That might be all we need to get this right. Yeah, to get it back so, to where you're comfortable and can survive. I'm, I'm never a fan of, like, fans love to say, you should have done this, whether it's, like, with timeouts or with taking a guy out too soon. To, to, like, what if you never would have gotten to that point? Correct. You're saying, we wish we had him in the last minute or two, but what if you were down by 10 by that point because you couldn't stop the bleeding without him on the court? To me, that stuff's just, I mean, that's all hindsight. 2020. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everyone's right when you look and at I, it. And I go back to, if he would have had a chance to play some offense, defense with dead balls, I, he probably would have done that. But there's, you just didn't have that opportunity. Right. You weren't scoring. You weren't stopping them. There were no really dead ball circumstances to do it. So, leave well, my there, guy there in. There was after Jaron fouled. That was a dead ball. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> that was, that <laughs> that was, was a good opportunity yeah, to get him out. That was an opportunity. Yeah, that, that part I, I'll, I'll give you. Um. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save this for after we do Xavier, kind of, of of where we look ahead for for, for both. So let, let me skip then to, to Xavier's Xavier's game um, for you as you watch it. What 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 went wrong in the in the final really fi- final six minutes more than the final ten minutes? Well, it, they turned the ball over way, way too, too much, much, and some of that is they wilted under pressure. Some of it is like fluke stuff, like Trayvon Blewett driving on multiple possessions. One time he just loses the handle, and the next time he slips and falls flat on his face on the floor and just hands the ball away. Like I don't, I don't know what to say or what the solution is or who's at fault or like, yeah, you need to trade no, Rick Blue it to be better. Somebody has to be that, at fault. There has no, to be a that, pound of flash. That's the other part. Is there it, has to be always, a pound of flash. Yeah, there always has to be somebody at fault, and and sometimes it's not. You know what it is? It's sports, man. Yeah, yes. it's sports. And then there was there was plenty of stuff that was Xavier's fault: missing free throws, sure, right? Not getting defensive rebounds. But on some of those possessions where it's like you turn the ball over that many times in a row, something that like, yeah, there's a game or there's probably two or three games you can point to during Xavier's season and say they didn't take good care of the ball. But a lot of times they were up by 15, 20 in those games. They got sloppy and started throwing it around. It wasn't as much like teams pressured them and really made them wilt under pressure at all this season. All of a sudden, it kind of happened in the end of the Providence game in the Big East tournament in the semifinals and happened again in this one. It's like, that sucks. Um the, the point guard situation, I thought Quentin Gooden had a great year. I thought Paul Scruggs really came on towards the end of the year. They weren't great. I mean, Paul had a pretty good game for the most part, but in that situation, they weren't great. They also weren't the only ones turning the ball over. Like I said, Trayvon turned it over in back-to-back possessions. Your best player. JP had a couple turnovers before he fouled out. So everyone had a hand in it. The missing free throws thing, you go 18 for 30 or 19 for 30, I think it was. team that shot the ball so percent yeah. for an 80% team. Yeah. Yeah, I, like... Some of those things, it's just basketball, man. Like, it sucks. And, yeah, the guys wilted under pressure, and that'll be a part of their legacy. They're also the same group of guys, for the most part, that made an Elite Eight run as 11 seed last year and showed That's all the That's the last team in the tournament. Like, that's what it gets back to. The last year, they're the last team in the tournament. They get to the Elite Eight. This year, they're, this one year they're a one seed, and they don't get out of the round of 32. Like, that's the randomness of this thing. That's what I've been talking about all year. Yeah, I, I just I, I wish it would, would find a way to validate your regular season. That's all. That... that you know, maybe you, you maybe you don't get in as, as the one that seed record. validates the regular in terms of the way it's seen by the NCAA. The one seed for Xavier, the two seed for Cincinnati, that validates your regular season. And once that ball is tipped on Thursday at noon, that's all you got. And uh, Xavier already validated when they cut down the nets after that's they uh, got the Big East regular season title. So they're good. They've, they've got that. That's a good call. Yeah. They do. Have, they do have that. Um, 
Trayvon Blewett, eight points. Was that him? Was that Florida State? Was that? I th- well, I think there is something to Trayvon Blewett. What's, what's everyone's biggest concern with him in terms of being an NBA prospect? His lack of athleticism, longer, more athletic guys are going to give him trouble. And that is a long team. And that's exactly – Florida State has an abundance of long, athletic, tough wings, and they were able to give him some trouble. You also had – without Najee Marshall being able to play most of the game, he only played 12 minutes because of the ankle injury he sustained, you had to shift Kaiser Gates in at the four and Trayvon Blewett to the three, which also puts a more athletic, quicker, laterally-type defender on Trayvon – that makes things a little bit tougher as well for him, I think. And he did like you can say Xavier's not going to win without Trayvon playing that way, but they had the game won with him playing that way. Like they still melted down and they won games throughout this year without him playing yeah, well. A couple of in a couple of tough spots. Right. Like if they have JP McCura playing well as they did, and they have some of the other guys, Karen Cantor had a really good game last night. They've proven all year they're a good enough team to win those games even without Trayvon playing well. It didn't happen last night, and sure it stinks that he didn't play his best in the NCAA tournament. You, my thing is, you always control your destiny to the sec, through the second round of the tournament. Xavier had the matchup they wanted. They had a team in Florida State that was beatable. They had them beat late in the second half. They melted down. It, it's kind of inexcusable, but it's also like I don't know exactly who gets the blame for it or who you point the finger at. I think it's one of those things that, as a fan, it's really frustrating. Yeah, it. Uh, I mean, across the board, especially for what to happen on on the same night. Um, I don't know if it was on your board or not, Rick, but, but were Xavier fans crowing after the UC loss, and, and how much of that do you go? Just a lot of times, just don't say anything. Oh, I'm sure, not on my board, I'm sure on social media yeah. there was a decent amount of that. But I also think because Xavier still had to play, it's one of those things where it's Hold like... Hold your breath, yes. You don't necessarily yeah. want to poke the bear, because I think, what, I think with Xavier fan, well, I'm sure UC fans and Xavier fans both were thinking the same thing. The one thing you don't want to happen is... We lose right before them, or we lose right after them, after they just punched their ticket to the Sweet 16. That, I think, would have been devastating for either fan base. Because it happened the way it did, I think it was more of everyone just (laughs) kind of shut up. Now it's Misery Loves Company. The arena was a different story. I'm sure Oh, I'm sure. sure Because it it was tame for 30 minutes. But then as the tide started turning, like I had a, like, where I was seated was where the Xavier section was. Mm And you could see as the tide started turning, they're doing the go pack cheers. And, you know, they're in kind of the same color right. of blue. Right, yep. So they're blending in. And they started, like, the Xavier fans really started pulling for Nevada coming down the stretch. And that's expected. Like, that, right, yeah. that's nothing new. It, it wasn't anything malicious. There were no fights on Broadway. There was no world star. It was completely civil, like I said it would be. Um, but, Xavier fans definitely enjoyed seeing UC collapse in those final few minutes. UC fans, I would imagine, didn't get to experience the same. I can't imagine many stayed around. Because everybody was on their way to the car. Yeah, I would have thought so. I, I, I was in my car before the layup. I was in the shuttle bus back to the parking lot before the layup line started. <laughs> I mean, I will say, I, like, I didn't even see any really UC social media stuff after Xavier's loss. So, like, I don't... Right. I don't think I think everyone was just kind of devastated and it's like I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. As a city everyone collectively like let's just never speak of this night again. The 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 oh, Sunday it's a, it's, a, it's a litany of things. The the Nashville Sunday massacre. Yeah, it's what it is. It'll it'll forever be known. In fact, I, I got a column up right now on local12.com that the the, the 10 most gut-wrenching defeats in Cincinnati sports history. This counts as one, right? Believe it or not, it's funny you say that. 
I counted it on the list. One was the suit. Well, I'll give I'll give the top. No, story. but this counts as one four, event. They were four A and four B together. Right. Yes, this is one were, event. Yes, that's correct. Four A and four B together. It would have been like Cincinnati alone would have been. Oh no question. Its own event. No question. But when it happened to Xavier too, there's no. It's a. It's a. It's, sing- it's, it's its own event. It, it is a singular because event. it happened within what a four and a half hour window, not five even, hour window. Not even that between the end of the UC game yeah. and the end of the Xavier game, I'm talking about a three hour window, basically. But yes, skinny who like complete. I don't even want to answer this question because. I don't think it matters it what answer. we say. I, I don't want to answer <laughs> oh, the question okay. between us because I don't. I don't think it matters what we say about it. But just from your totally outside perspective, which loss do you think was worse or or more damaging for for the two teams? Just because you have Xavier from the standpoint of that was maybe a chance for them to legitimately get to a Final Four, yes. and they've never been there. For but they've had more recent tournament success. I, you know, Chris Mack. I think is no one's looking at him and saying, "Oh man, he's a guy who chokes in the tournament." On the other side of things, UC's obviously had that stigma for a few years of you know, they can't get past that second round. Um, this was obviously a team that had a chance to do so. Which one do you see as like? It's 50-50, but if you ask me to choose one, it's UC's because everything kind of built to this moment. I mean, it really did. Xavier's got last year to hang their hat on, right or wrong. It, to, for UC, this was the team. This was the team, the, the, the best of the Mick era. And I, I don't think there's any doubt about that, right? I mean, not just because of what they did. This was the best team that he had and especially then with the way you see the brackets bust open you go holy cow i still he, think here you go i still think i would take the 2012 team over this team really would you yeah just because i think one through five that team was better than this team hmm. okay cash yeah no, deon dixon sk jaquan parker yancey gates i would take that five over this five maybe it's the glaring difference being point guard like, yeah, that's that's a big point. Like the point guard situation never quite worked itself out for this and team. And the bench situation never really worked itself out for this team. No, like no a guy here that. and a guy there. The knock on the two thousand twelve team was that that bench never really supported yeah. those first five guys. That kind of became a the, the the prophecy with this team as well. I think I would still take two thousand and twelve, but you're right, two thousand and twelve had to play Jaron Sullinger and Aaron Kraft. And those dudes yeah, right, right. in the Sweet 16, yeah. these guys were going to have to play Loyola. And they're very good, and they've played very well. But if you get, that's your, not, if you get your druthers. That's, yeah, yeah, that's right. not Jared Sullinger Correct. and Aaron Kraft. If, if I'm giving you your choice of who you're playing, yes, you're taking this Loyola team versus that Ohio State team. So, yeah, I think in that sense, it, it probably, as you see, the only caveat I will add is this answer could change in a week. In what regard? If this is Chris Mack's last well, game at Xavier. Yeah. Potentially, like, if yeah. with this team and a one seed and all Chris has built and all Chris has accomplished, if this is his last game, or ends up ultimately being his last game, I think that swings the the perception the other way. I don't know. I could I, be wrong. I mean, that's I, just my out. Like, that's. I just don't think this loss really has anything to do with whether he leaves or not. I don't think it does either, but I'm saying... When looking back at this team, you'll look at it as if he does leave, this was Chris's last team, and what would have happened if he would have had to take a couple extra weeks before he could decide on what he was doing. Like the the what ifs will come into play. It's happened in with Cincinnati football for ages. Would yeah. Brian Kelly have still been the coach if if UC made the national championship? You know, like that hangs around. So that is the type of thing I think that could. Flip it, but it's really close because both had amazing opportunities slide through their fingers. 
Yes, and that, 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 that's, the, that's the unfortunate part to, to this. All right, so for UC, and I, you and I talked before the podcast started, because everything was kind of built for this year, everything was kind of steered towards this year, the focus was on this year, it, coaches come back from this because it's what they have to do, it's what they do for a living, but, but really, man, it just feels like so much emotion, energy, all the things that you took to build a team came crashing, tumbling down. Yeah. The resources are, are, are gone for now, and that doesn't mean you can't replenish it, but it's not. this isn't going to come back like this overnight. No, it's been a, it was a change in philosophy four or five years ago. You know, Troy Payne was kind of the start of it, but it started in, this, in terms of this group with Gary, and then you get Kyle to transfer in, and you get Jacob and Jaron. You know, that, like that, that core took, like we've talked about, and we talked about this at the beginning of the year, Xavier and Cincinnati aren't Kentucky. Like, it, it doesn't change year to year. It evolves because you've got three- and four-year guys that are the, at the top of your program. So, yeah, I mean, now, I mean, we'll see what happens with Jacob Evans. It, all indications are that I would not expect him back. Maybe this changes his mind. Maybe, but you're going to have to transition now to this is Jaron Cumberland's team, a guy who's not vocal, who doesn't say a whole lot, who Gary Clark said as, as recently as Saturday, sometimes we have to talk for him in terms of communication on the floor. Like that kid's going to come out of his shell and be your vocal leader. Like it, no, but, it's a but, different. But he, but he can come out of his shell and, and do what he did against Georgia State yeah, on the floor. Yeah, and then what he did against. Um, Nevada, yeah. Nevada yeah, until he right. until he picked up two fouls with seven and a half minutes left in the first half, and from there he never really got back on track. But all right, let me ask you: Is, is there something different that Mick can and or should do? Either coaching philosophy, recruiting philosophy, in game philosophy. I mean, the, the, you know, I mean the, the consistency of being in the tournament should not be overlooked, and I'm not here to crap on that because whether. Fans want to think it or not. It's still hard to get in, especially when you're in that league. Okay, the, so let's the hot back. thing right but, now. But you've gotten past the second round. You got past the first weekend one time. The and hot thing now is he needs to calm down on the sidelines. He needs to stop yelling and screaming and blah 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 blah. Well, the the guy that's the most calm in the country on the sidelines just lost to a 16 seed. Mm-hmm. There's no perfect recipe for no, that. You're, like you're, I think you have to be true to your personality. Well, and and Chris Mack is somewhere in the middle. Where he'll get hot at times, but for the most part, he's pretty calm and cool and collected. They didn't make it this year. Like, it's there's no recipe for like this is exactly how a coach's demeanor should be. So I, I kind of get tired of that, like that that line of of thought. I, I understand where you're coming from, and I understand how you have to approach that situation. But let's be clear: there's a difference between most coaches who yell throughout games and get worked up and the antics of McCronin on the sideline, especially in big games, if you think about like the Crosstown shootout or last night, where it's not, it's not people who don't like UC. It's not just UC people who notice this. This is anyone who watched the game, if you go search Twitter, is talking about that guy losing his mind on the sidelines for UC. Like, it is over the top the way he acts during the game. So if, like, I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or it's helping his team or hurting his team. I'm just saying you're going to get pushback from that when everyone in not, the country watching I'm not the game denying, sees like, it. I'm not, I'm not pushing that aside. I'm just saying I don't there, – there's no proven – like there's nothing that says you can't win being that way. You, there's nothing that says you don't, do win being the way Tony Bennett is because Tony Bennett has been a, a protected seed for four or five years and hasn't made the Final Four either. Like 
you are right, but if you are going to not do anything, like if you're not going to win at that level and, and advance, then be ready for peop- for your fans and, and your administration to feel some blowback because of your yeah. antics. Because like it's not very becoming for a head coach to for everyone to be like, God, that guy is a lunatic on the sidelines constantly. It's the same thing I've said with Xavier all year. The, the, the perception all year is why is it always Xavier that seems to be getting in altercations? That's who they want to be. You have to accept that blowback. No, I, 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 yeah. I, I'm okay with that because it's the same thing I've said with X. I can't say it about X and then not apply yeah. it. I, I, there is no to UC. Perfect, there is no perfect formula for it. I mean, you have to be true to your personality. Okay, that that part. That's who he is. But in in tight games, big games, maybe that's a time where you need to look back at yourself and go, "All right, I need to chill here. I need to four minutes. I, I've got to just. I've got to. I've got to coach the game instead of, of yell about every single solitary mini mistake. Look, did our guy miss a box out there? Okay, I, I'm gonna have to let it go because I need to worry about the other end right here. Did our guy miss a rotation there? Yeah, I'm gonna have to let that go because now I got to think about the next possession ahead. Well, and that's the next possession ahead thing is like. The moment where Jaron fouled out was one of the most bizarre moments where I think everyone well, watching that game goes, what is going he on? He wasn't yelling he, at him. If you saw it read his mouth, he said, calm the blank down. Yeah. Right. Jaron was talking to the official. Yeah. He was yelling at him for talking to the official. Yeah. But, it, but it's like, your team is in crisis right now. There's a game going on. You've got a second. And like you're screaming in Jaron's face for 30 seconds or whatever. Well, like That was an extended period where he was just focused on Jaron. It's like, what what's going on? You know, it. It, it was a bizarre meltdown to watch on the sideline. I will say that. I mean, it, again, I, I, I can't criticize a guy for being the way he is, but there are times where you have to be introspective and go, all right, what can I do to maybe change to make the situation better? We can't talk about this the right way. I mean, honestly, but, maybe, maybe Tony Bennett needs to chew some ass for all I know. Maybe he does. That might be fair. I'm sure – I mean, Virginia fans want to fire him too. Like, they're right. saying the same thing you see fans. Sure. are probably just the opposite today. So that is what it is. Mick does himself no, no favors, though, after the game. That's his problem. When he talks to the media and he won't accept that winning is part of his job and he constantly acts like he's being asked ridiculous questions when people are asking him the normal questions of what happened Are there? you going to sleep tonight? That's a normal dude, question? Yes, come on, dude. Like Everyone yeah, knows what that means. Yeah, you're trying to listen to the response there, too. I the, mean, the, I, but you also the, have to be – look, I – That's the, the, the first question I didn't have a problem with, and, and – the whole He's point is, always, Chad. The whole point is, Chad. You just lost. Just say what people want to hear. Play the PR game. I mean, again, if you don't care, that's fine. And he doesn't care clearly. But from a standpoint of someone trying to defend him, it's very easy to say we didn't reach our goal. We wanted to go to a final four. This, whatever it is, just say that you wanted to win and you didn't. It didn't happen. It's very easy to say. Mickle never like. It's always really important until he loses, and then everything else in the world is more important. Basketball doesn't matter. We shouldn't care about winning. He doesn't care about Sweet Sixteens. He only cares about championships, which is very interesting. Like it's what he said. All it's what he said. I know That's, you, you and you and Mo and every all the other Mick no, in town are always able to tell weeks. what he means to say. But the problem is that's not what he says to the media. Why, why didn't you bring that up three weeks ago? He said the same thing. He said it in every press conference since the start of the postseason. But it doesn't make sense when you lose to say, we don't care about winning. Like, that just doesn't work. It's not going to play well. And again, said, we don't care about making the Sweet 16. We care about winning the championship. You, you got to win the Sweet 16. Got to get to the Sweet Sixteen. Got to get Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, but what he's saying, our goal is not to get to the Sweet Sixteen. Like we're not going to go celebrate because we made the Sweet Sixteen. You guys are always able to tell us what he means to say, but the problem is he always says something that comes off as sounding ridiculous, and 
if I'm a UC fan, I'd be sick of it. I totally get why the fan base is tired of that. Well, that's it, why I go back to, and it's not just that. It's just every, so much was poured into this year, even as a fan. And yeah. look, t- time heals it all. I mean, we're sitting here one day, hell, even less, we're less than 24 hours. Well, we're less than 12 hours, basically, from the, the, the thing taking place. You, you eventually, sun comes up, life goes on, work takes place, all that stuff. But as a fan, are you ready to go through this again? Today was a little rougher than most. Right. And point blank period, UC fans have been upset all year with like the coverage they get, and they feel like Xavier gets better coverage than them. They do. It's because Chris Mack treats media members as the guys doing their job after a game and just gives them a reasonable question. He doesn't do all of that stuff after every loss, after every big game, when people are just doing their job. Um, right, let's move to Chris Mack because it's kind of the elephant in the room there. Does he come back? If I had to guess, I'd say no. Um, that's not like super inside information. It's not recent talks with Chris Mack. It's just my feeling on what I've heard over the years covering Chris Mack for his entire tenure. If I had to guess, I would lean towards he's going to Louisville. I think that's going to be a really interesting situation when he actually sits down with Louisville. Yeah. And and, and anyone who says it's done or it's not done already, I think is totally off base. Completely off base. No, I, I think he's got more you questions want, for them than he has for they have for him. If you want the best information on this situation, go to Rick's message board. Because there's inside stuff from Louisville. There's inside stuff from Xavier. There are people close to Mac on both sides that actually know what's going on. Without question, go to Rick's site. That's where the inside information will come from. Uh, that's where you'll find it. But ultimately, everybody that's in the know thinks this is a real possibility. But there's nothing that's happened yet. Like, has Chris's agent talked to Louisville? I'm sure he has. Right. Has Chris talked to Louisville? No. Right. So until that happens, right. and that's a real, this isn't a normal situation because everything that's going on at Louisville, until you sit down and talk with them, how can you have any idea whether or not you can take that job? Maybe, and that's my opinion. I No, I mean, I think that's totally accurate. It's, it's, it's that. It's also, I don't think, like, I mean, people make a big deal out of the whole Chris is from Cincinnati thing, he's from Xavier thing, and... A lot of times I've just kind of laughed at that, like, okay, well, let's see how much that matters when it's $5 million, $4 million a year. Yeah, when it's, when it's, but, when it's lateral or, 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 or not a ton more, then yes, that makes a difference. When, when it's double? Double plus, then yes. Right, but there is, I mean, like, Brian Snow always says, and I do think, like, there is something weird about Cincinnati people and this area and them not wanting to leave, and if this situation at Louisville isn't, if he's not comfortable with it, I think Chris has no problem continuing to be the head coach at Xavier for the rest of his career. Like, I don't think that's a problem to Chris. He'd be happy if he did that. At the same time, I also think he's super competitive. He'd like to move up and and coach at the highest level of college basketball. And I don't think he's a guy that sees himself as a lifer who's going to be coaching till he's 75 or anything like Bayheim or Kay. I, so, like, I'm sure he'd like to make more money, too, before he's, before he's done with it. And he can get something where he's almost doubling a salary. Eh, it might be silly not to do so. So... Again, I think it's more than likely he will take the job, but I think it's far yeah, but, from a done deal. But, but I also think for him, I'm not taking this as a five-year deal no matter what. The, I, I want, eight. I, yeah, I want eight, and I want the buyout to be significant because I do think I know what I'm walking into, but I still don't. Even when you ask the questions, you may not get the answers that are going to give you where things are going. The NCAA hasn't told, him, told them what Correct. he's walking into. Here, here's a hypothetical, and I'm, I'm curious. What are the odds that he would bet on himself and say, hit me next time around? go through these three, four years of misery and uh, 
give me a call back in like 2022. The only issue there would be whoever, whoever, whoever goes in and succeeds and well, the job doesn't come open. Well, or or the, the, the flip side is that person also gets an eight-year deal and Louisville says – we ain't buying you out. Maybe maybe you're, you're six-year when things are going bad. So if you're, you're thinking about a six-year gamble, I don't know if I'm waiting on a six-year gamble. I just think that is too long-term for how Chris views himself in, yeah, that's in the fair. business. I'm just curious, like, what, you know. I No, I, I get what you're saying. And if you were like, hey, Louisville's going to have a coach for three or four years and then they're going to be hiring again, that might make his decision a whole lot easier. Let me roll the dice at X here a couple more years, see what more I can build. And then jump when, you know, all the, the, the cloud clears. Because now you're going into the cloud. You're going to have to live in the cloud for a couple of years. I think the good thing about Xavier right now is it's not three years ago at Xavier where you're moving into the Big East. You don't know that you're going to be a top-tier Big East program. Things you're number were, two at worst in that league now. Things were a little tumultuous with recruiting and everything. Like, he's at a point now where Xavier, this thing's going to keep rolling. Like, Xavier is still Xavier, even in the Big East, even after the move. So I don't think there's any real concern or risk with him staying at Xavier. Like, it's going to be right. really hard for him to screw things up at Xavier the way things are. He's in a great position. Now, winning's hard, and they have to put in a lot of work and sacrifice a lot. I'm not saying anything to the contrary. But it's very comfortable at Xavier right now. Going to Louisville is a lot of unknowns. A lot of unknowns and a big risk. The only known would be the Benjamins that are attached to it. That's and the, that, that makes that's up big, for a, a big lot no, of sure. question marks. No doubt. No doubt. And, and I, especially I if he is a guy that, like you said, isn't going to coach till he's 70. If he's done at 60, guess what you want to do from now to 60? Make as much stack, as you can. Stack Cash. as much bank as humanly possible. And there is no place in the country like Louisville to do that. There you go. Yep. All right. Um, I have to say I was wrong because Kentucky is going to be a second weekend team. Hmm. Thanks in part to the bracket busting up. But but at the same time, um, I thought played pretty well in the Davidson game. I think Davidson, I give them a lot of credit for, for hanging around and fighting back. And honestly, in the Buffalo game, I thought Kentucky really, really played well. So we can argue and people can look and go, look, you beat a 12 seed, you beat a 13 seed. Yeah, you did. That was what it was. Those are two quality mid-major yeah, no, no. programs. No, no, Virginia no. should have beat a 16 seed. Right. No, no, that's my point though. Is if you look, look, the 12 seed played pretty well and they took a punch and they won. 13 seed, they 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 looked. That was a good game until there was eight minutes left. <laughs> yes, it was. It, it was, was a five-point game. No, it was. Yeah, no, it was. But Kentucky really looked good. I thought in yeah. that game too. So whether you want to go, ah, the brackets busted open for them. Yeah. Yeah, it has. With but, Massenburg and Clark and, but and you Perkins. you need to take advantage of that, and you need to still win those games. Buffalo had three at least high major yeah. guys. No, they're, they're good. I mean, it didn't take the Arizona win, maybe the, the, the amount they won. But it didn't take, if you look at their resume and you look at their season, it didn't take that Arizona win to validate that Buffalo's a pretty good team. Um, again, I'm still Don't st- tell Seth Davis he I'm took shots st- at UC all year. I'm still stunned at, at, at the margin of victory in the Arizona game, and anybody with any sense would be stunned as well. And truth be told, they play a seven-game series. Arizona's winning that series, but it doesn't matter. That didn't take the valley. Buffalo was good. So I, the, the two wins for Kentucky, look. I, I hey, guess credit. what? They're a second-weekend team, and that's what matters. They don't have to. They, the, the, the teams they're playing now are probably worse than Davidson and Buffalo. Maybe. Kansas State, Kansas State, I would take Davidson and Buffalo over I, I, Kansas State by a comfortable margin. Kansas State has a hard time scoring. I, a hard, I totally agree with that. A hard time scoring. Go ahead. I think uh, Mikel Bridges for Villanova would probably be the one guy in this tournament who's improved his NBA draft stock more oh. than anyone else. But right behind him, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yeah. Those He's, are two top ten guys now for sure. Yeah, I mean, they were already kind of back-end lottery guys probably. Bridges, I could see Bridges getting into the top five and Gilgis Alexander being seven. Right. I mean, what? And I mean, Gilgis Alexander 
point guards, speedy point guards that can really score. That we know what those look like. But for Mikael Bridges, what NBA team doesn't need that? Right. Like he fits. There's An not elite one, three in the wing. There's not one team that can't add him on and say, "All oh, perfect fit for us." Right. I mean, he is a knockdown shooter that hits really tough shots that he's guarded, and he has incredible length and, and elevation on the shot, so he can get it off with people right in his face, and he still shoots it consistently. He's doing more off the dribble, and defensively, he can guard one through four, even at the NBA level, I think. He is I mean, four, he's at, maybe not at the NBA level, but you could switch him and, like, he, he could hold his own. Like especially he, in today's NBA game where fours are starting to look a lot more like Six eight guys and they're still probably six ten, but they look like six eight guys. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot they of six ten like guys, six, but there guys. are teams yeah. playing six eight guys down there now, to where he could guard a lot of them, or at least on a switch for a possession or whatever. He's been awesome, but Shea Gilgis Alexander has really kind of engineered this UK run. He's been superb. There's no doubt. He's been absolutely. They superb. are out without him. Oh no question, no question. Out without him. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, you you can sustain. Oh, they might not even have made the tournament this year if they didn't have that guy. Yeah, no, he's and especially of late, he's and and he was he was was he their lowest recruit? Yeah, their worst recruit. I mean, I guess Jamal Baker probably was. Yeah, at the, at the he hasn't end. been here, so he's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But Shea Gilgis Alexander came from out of nowhere in his high school career and kind of was a late. He was like borderline, like top thirty, top forty type kid. Him and his him and his cousin got some attention. Um, but, but they he weren't blossomed late. Yeah, both of them did. Yeah. yeah, his efficiency. He's just so he's efficient. I mean, you look up and you go, he's got that. He's one of those guys. He's got that many. Really? If he gets his shoulder by you, you're done. You're done. Yeah, I mean, he's got that De'Aaron Fox thing where he just blows people's doors off and gets to the rim with consistency and that slinky athleticism to where it's like you think he's going to get blocked or someone can challenge him or he can't take the contact, but he rarely even gets bumped that hard because yeah. he just kind of slides past him and lays it in before they can react. With, uh, Will Barton. Got a little Will Barton to him. Yeah, he, he really does. Uh, we, we talked about teams. Let's look at the tournament as a whole. We talked about teams that we didn't trust. We didn't trust Virginia. They kind of backed our lack of trust. We didn't really trust Michigan State a whole lot other than the eyeball test, right? I mean, we just didn't. Well, I mean, I, I had them in the final No, So did I. No, I, I, I did too, but I just it, it, the problem I, didn't, with, I didn't feel good doing that. I, I really didn't. We didn't know with them because they hadn't really been tested enough to know what we had. Right. And still, it like, still looked like when they went up five that they were in control because I wasn't sure Syracuse could – Score in a month of five, Sundays. yeah, yeah, five felt five felt like fifteen at that point of the game, and it really just came down to I think for Michigan State is they just didn't have creators on the right. offensive end. Like Bridges was awesome, Miles Bridges had a great year, but he became kind of a jump shooter that didn't really create for the rest of his team or himself off the dribble and, in, in isolation. That, that's an and I, it's one of the most interesting cases ever to me, Rick, because they kind of recruited to make themselves worse as a team. Not intentionally, but if you're Tom Izzo, you have to play Nick Ward, Jaron Jackson, and Miles Bridges. Yeah. You have to. And at the college level, Miles Bridges isn't as effective as a three. He becomes a jump shooter, isn't as effective as a three as he is at a four. But Jaron Jackson is your most talented player. You can't take it like – it put Tom Izzo in a really – like strange situation that you don't see very often in college sports. We've just seen the game has evolved. It, like college is so slow to react to this. The NBA has completely changed and everyone just jacks threes and for the most part plays space and pay, space and pace stuff. At the college level, we're still seeing teams play all these different styles and they still talk so much about pounding it inside and everything. And it's like 
We just saw that with Michigan State. It, it's just not as efficient. And you're going to run into a team that's going to shoot a bunch of threes, and they're going to beat you if you can't knock down threes at the same clip. So if you can't create offense in the half court or knock down threes, it's, it's becoming really difficult to win in this tournament because you're going to run into someone who's going to jack a bunch of threes and beat you. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, I did this exercise before the, the tournament started, and I'm going to do it real quick here, which is I, I looked at the Ken Palm ratings, as you suggested, did a column on it and, and narrowed it down to three teams. That How many columns did I give you this year in this podcast? I appreciate like five? it. Five? But, but the interesting number to me was going back to 2002, every champion finished top 20 in adjusted defense. Wasn't, it was, it's funny, it wasn't always really high, but they were all top yeah. 20. All but one team finished top 20 in offense, and the one team that didn't was that UConn team that finished 39th. All right, so doing that with the teams left in the tournament, here are the teams after the weekend that are still in the tournament and top 20 in defense, um, and these are the t- and then we're going to sort it out from there. Michigan, Texas Tech, Syracuse, Clemson, Duke, A&M, Gonzaga, Villanova, which eked back in. They were out of the top 20 before the tournament started, barely, but they were outside of it, and Kansas State. If you narrow it down further to offenses, you really come down to, to three teams, Duke, Duke, Gonzaga, and Villanova. And Villanova now is back in that Ken Palm discussion of being a titleist. If you go on those numbers, this based on the – it is a fluid thing. So the fluid part of it's got them back in the top 20 defensively. And it would be hard for me to pick outside those guys. I don't think it's even close right now that Duke and, and Villanova are the two best right. things left. Yeah, right. have, to, have to be. Gonzaga, I feel, is still a little artificially inflated with their numbers because of the competition. Agreed. Now, the funny part is the bracket where they're at is busted open to the point where – they're, they're, they're in great shape. They're in great shape, yeah. yeah. The one and two are gone. Right. I, I still don't feel like that Gonzaga team this year is nearly as good as last year's Agreed. team no, was. I agree, with, I agree with that. But they're in just as good of a position, and the bracket has broken well for them. Dude, the West and South is, is unbelievable. I mean, Kentucky's probably the favorite to come out of that entire side, right? Kentucky right now is looking at a and, championship Yeah, game. and they're barely on it. They're, they're top 20 in offense, and they're 24th in defense. And so depending on these next two games, the Kansas State game could creep them very much back into the they top 20 They might be third in defense by the end of that game. <laughs> Wouldn't go that far, but they could certainly get inside the top 20 coming out of that. Um, look, Loyola... Loyola, Nevada, Loyola runs really good they, offense. They do. Nevada's but, really good on offense. They, they are. But Loyola is not going to put seventy five up on an elite. No, they're deliberate, but good, but it's on points per possession. Yes, like, you're right. That, 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 that part's right. I, um, I would take Nevada to to get past Loyola. Um, Nevada, Kentucky would be fun because it's just all everybody's six six and bigger. Right. It, it would be a, an interesting contrast, but you would have to think Kentucky just wears. I mean, well, it's hard to say because that team speaking, hasn't worn down of, against Florida State or guess, Cincinnati. You watch them play. You, I, I keep thinking, how are these guys? still doing this how in the world are they doing this six guys six guys i get it it wears on you but it's like at this time of year man like you got to play two games in a weekend and then you get a week off and then you got to play two more games this is the end of these guys's career oh, it's their college age I, I can see if you were a 10-man rotation the regular season busting it down to eight no 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 i think this is better because mean? these dudes are trained to go. They are. They've been playing 38 minutes, oh, 39 know, minutes all I know, year. But it's, I just, it's incredible at a high level when you have to really – look, this isn't where you're playing in a slop league and you can take a defensive possession or five off. you got to really play. It is, but we talked about this, I think, with SMU last year maybe. S- yeah, they are SMU from last year. Where it's like the difference is if their guys can physically make it through – you're not taking your best players off the court like other teams and are they doing. Obviously you don't can. have those. They obviously did. You don't have those regular substitutions where 
now you could go to kind of a second unit for a few minutes. They just keep their best players on the court all the time, and they make runs on you when you go to your second unit. And, and, really, and really, it's four guys that play the majority, and then the other, they, they don't even split the other. Yeah, Hell, they one rotate out one spot, yeah, basically. Right. You go through, like if you play 31 minutes, and then all of a sudden at the end of the season, you got to play 38, yeah, 39. That's a, that's a big difference. Then your legs are dead sure. at the end. The, these guys... They're just going and they're playing. But I would say it did look early in the second half even that they were dead. That UC had pushed them to the point of we're exhausted. And then to see them turn it back up, and it was almost like the second win factor. They got a second win. I do. I, Jim Bam always made this point. He's right. I mean, the NCAA tournament media timeouts are longer, longer. than regular season timeouts. So you've got a little bit of that for some extra rest. Because everybody always asked him, he'd have a seven-man rotation. And how do you do it with seven? Like I said, seven, eight, yeah, seven, stretch it, six, and really when it's Really, four guys getting all those minutes. It is impressive. It it really is impressive. It, it is impressive, but I just don't think like people make such a big deal out of how tired they'd be. And like you said, there's all these breaks throughout the game. These guys are conditioned to do it, and it's the end of their career. Like you make a few shots in the NCAA tournament, you're playing off adrenaline. No doubt. Like you're not no going doubt. to tire out in the final minutes well, of the game where you're making a run. And that's that's what that 10-0 run was. That 10-0 run was the shot of adrenaline. Yeah. yeah, and it just carried them through the rest of the game. And like I think that. I think that can keep up. I just don't know that their style will continue to work because it's such a a volatile style. Like, you know, for 20 minutes a game, you're awful. And for five minutes a game, you're amazing. And then the rest is just kind of hopefully you play good yeah. enough. Well, I mean, in fact, what was it? The San Diego State game in the, in the finals of their league tournament? Weren't they down, what, 30 at the half? Yeah, what well, San Diego State did to them, what UC did to them for yeah. a long period of time. And it was 57-25 yeah. at the half, something something weird. They shot a great percentage and, and, and buried them, and they didn't give them a chance to come back. Could you imagine if it's their point guard that's out, right? Yeah. Could you imagine if they had their point oh, guard yeah. for this? He was averaging, what, 13 and some 13? No, he was averaging 8 and 4. Okay. I don't know, Rick. I, I almost think they're better with the ball in the Martin Twins' hands. I do, too. I don't, I don't disagree with that part of it, but they were still doing that even when they yeah, had their point right. guard a lot. Like, just you guys are making a big deal about them not having a rotation. You add another guy back there in there and a ball handler, like, that would certainly help them right now. Yeah, it's, it, it, it still impresses me, though, for goodness sakes. So, so, uh, we're looking at it on one side, I, I, collision course, Duke-Villanova. The other side, God knows. I mean, it's probably going to be Kentucky, and outside of that, who knows? I mean, you don't want to be the favorite in this tournament. No, though. you don't. That's the thing. Like, except for Villanova, just basically said, you know what? We're better than you guys. Good. good they're luck. like a Fortune 500 company. <laughs> they, are, they are. We're just better. We're if better than all you. It feels so easy for them it right does, now, it and it looks, looks like it's going to be so easy, but it won't be. I'm still not just saying, oh, like they're definitely in the finals. The way this tournament has played out. No, it, it's been it's been as it, I mean, this has been oh, a microcosm. Final. Duke Duke Villanova would be a heck of a game. Fun. I hope we, I hope we get that game. For the reward of what's going to happen next week? Right. Yeah, because well, next week is not going to be I mean, fun. This has been the microcosm of the season of coming out of every weekend. We go, how did that just happen? How did they just lose? How did the they problem just is lose? now we have lose? all those teams are still alive, and they're the half of the only teams playing. That's a good point. Half, half of this tournament right now, two fives, two sevens, two nines, two elevens. That's half of what's left. Insane. That's crazy. Insane. Texas A&M. Keenan Evans is a bad dude. Keep keep they i've the problem with them is i watched them a decent amount this year constantly unimpressed right constantly just total lackluster performances not they don't run a lot their their offense is just slop their defense was lazy and ku makes two more shots they beat them there right. and all of a sudden it's really hard for me to pick against this texan am team and granted i had north carolina going final so i'm that probably clouds my my view of it a little bit but they are flat out dominating teams inside, and they have NBA talent. Like 
Keenan Evans is awesome. They have the closer. I, they got good. I mean, yeah, they're they're interesting, and especially with what's left, you're probably talking them and Gonzaga in the lead eight. I mean, you better get after them on the glass and keep them from dominating you on the boards and inside, and then still you've got to deal with Keenan Evans after that. It is this team would scare me um, if if I was on that side well, of the I mean, bracket. Still, sorry, they got off to an old five start in the SEC. Looked like they were dead man walking. Looked like they may not even make the tournament. Got to rallying, started playing better, um, and and have kind of carried that over for goodness sakes. Um, just eyeball test though. It, it, I mean, is Nova still the team to beat? Yeah. Eyeball test and it's pretty pretty Duke, clear. Duke has closed Duke, the Duke gap because yeah. they've when they now that they've gone to the zone defensively, they are immensely better um, than they were early in the year when they were a sieve. So I think Duke is closer, but yeah, Villanova, especially the way this thing has played out, I. They're easily number one for me and, and Duke, too. Yep. Um, all right, uh, Rick, I want to ask you one, one final thing because we didn't, haven't had a podcast since then, but NKU and the NIT, we, you and I got a chance to watch. I, I mean, played well for a good stretch of it. Yes? Wow. So I thought the, the Sunday Night Massacre I was totally fine I talking about. I didn't know we were going to bring this back Yeah, I had to get that. Uh, they, they were in position to win. I, it's very much like what we just talked about with Xavier and, and UC. I mean – you know, I don't know that you expect them to win that game, but for 30 minutes, Louisville was kind of uninterested, and both teams took a lot of bad shots, and NKU really couldn't score for most of the game, and I think that was the biggest issue. That was as sloppy as I've seen them offensively all yeah, year. Yeah, it, it didn't look good, and they didn't play like themselves. I mean, the turnovers down the stretch, the bad decisions with the ball, and then defensively they were good for most of the game, and then they couldn't get stops when it mattered. I, it's just like – Looking at that team, it was it was an awesome season. I'm going to continue to think about the two Wright State games, sure. the conference tournament against Cleveland State, and then that game against Louisville. It is just frustrating the way those games played out because this team felt so mature for most of the year. They were so consistent when I didn't necessarily expect them to be in conference play. I thought they would be way more up and down because they were still young, still figuring things out. And then now you have to look at next year with LeVon Holland is not back. And Mason Faulkner, who looked great as a freshman and was a big part of the run freshman season, I thought was going to be the clear point guard of the future, seemed to lose confidence this year right. and kind of wasn't there for them at the end of the season. So now you're kind of looking next year. It's like, who's going to lead this team at the point guard position? Kentucky Mr. Basketball? Yeah, I mean, Trayvon Faulkner is going to be really good, I think, for them. Um, can about, he step in right away and make an impact in their backcourt? We'll see. How about, how about they never land a Mr. Basketball in Kentucky? John Brandon shows up. They've now got two in three years. There you go. That's pretty good. I mean, it's Carson Williams has worked out yep. well. It was the perfect level for him. Yep. Trayvon Faulkner seems like a guy that could have gone a little higher. Good. Not the most skilled player in the world, but super athletic. Um, was an excellent football player. Was recruited to play. Could you have not seen college. him at like Buffalo? Easily. I mean, what? And that. I mean, like, I he, there's. He might have been able to go like Buffalo is obviously really good for the, the Mac. They're the top of the Mac, right? He might have been like if you told me an A10 team wanted him or an AAC like like like. Tulsa. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. So I think that was a really nice get. You've also got um, the Juco kid coming in, 6'9", 240. Three years of eligibility? Yes, and uh, can stretch the floor a little bit. Also a big-time rebounder. I think he'll pair nicely with Drew and Carson in the front court and give them a nice boost. Yeah, it gives them, I mean, it, gives, it, it kind of slots everybody probably size. It gives you another long guy that, that programs like that just don't have a lot of times. Yeah, and the one thing about this team, like with – 
Drew's awesome. I mean, he's been Terrific. unbelievable. But the one thing he lacks is length and athleticism. Six feet seven. And the one thing they haven't had is somebody behind him. Right. And now you have a guy like that who's a bona fide high major athlete body type of guy. Three years? Three yeah, years of eligibility. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, um, you, I mean, th- we talked about Chris Mack. That's a big question mark with NKU, too. I don't I don't know that it's quite the hot topic uh, that Mack will be, but John Brandon I, is going to get some looks well, this yeah, year. Yeah, and I think everybody assumed, well, if you went to the NCAA, to, look, what he did, I mean, to win their league after an NCAA year and then to to play Louisville pretty well, I don't even know if that game even mattered. Just doing what you did is all yeah. that mattered. Poning back-to-back seasons like that with all of a sudden, if, you know, if you're in the knowing basketball and if somebody's making the hire, hopefully they do, they're looking and going, Hey, not only this isn't the end, man. This is just the tip of the iceberg because the cupboard ain't bare. He's kind of building this thing up. Uh, I think it's gonna be hard to keep him there. I just do it now. Can I tell you who he's going to? Where he's going to? I have no earthly idea. But Chris Mack leaves Xavier. If I'm Greg Christopher, he's very early on my call sheet. I think he. he I think he has to be one of the top targets. All uh, you know, if anything happens at Xavier, obviously I'll have a hot board of names. I think Travis Steele is certainly one no A and and should be the guy in my opinion. But John Brand has to be a guy you interview. Sure. He would fit monetarily. He'd never want to leave. Style of play, likes to push it, fan-friendly. I mean, all those. Th- I mean, Yeah, I mean, it's a similar style to what Xavier's right. been doing, right. honestly. Chris Max, one of Chris Max's best friends, would have likely been on Xavier's staff if he didn't get the northern job. He's recruited really well. He has the high major experience recruiting at Alabama as a, the associate head coach. So he's a guy that's without question going to be at the top of that hot board. And there will be a few other names, too, that I think will get looks. If I had to guess... Steele and Brandon would be... We, we know who the top targets are, and who, one of those guys are going to get the job. Yeah. All right, you got a final take, Chad Brendel, or are you just ready to go home? <laughs> I, I told everybody all year, enjoy it while it was happening, because you never know with the NCAA tournament when it could end. You did say it multiple times. I didn't expect it to end exactly like it did for either school. Expected it to go round or two farther, but it ended, and I hope you enjoyed it while it was happening because it was a lot of fun. And trust me, I understand the misery. I, I did not. I was not in a good mood when I woke up this morning. I, I can I can imagine that. I, I get that. All right, how about you? I, I, I want to. Oh, you got one more. Was I a uh, was I a bad owner of BearcatJournal.com for not going in the the locker room last night? Soft, but <laughs> just don't want to do it. Like I, I don't have any freaking need to see those guys. Cry and like stick a camera in their face. Well, I was just saying it was a matter of what content you wanted to put up. That's a that's a yeah. I just I don't I don't like I don't know like I like the news guys have to do it. Like that's their job. They don't like doing it. If they could say they that no, then they wouldn't go in there and do it. I just don't like doing it. I I, I don't. I've done it a couple times and I I hate the feeling of it. Like just standing well, there. Like I don't, it's just it's just a matter of do you think people would click on the content and would it be I'm sure they probably or, would, uh, but. That's your decision, though. Yeah. I just yeah. decided not to. I think I think I would have just left it at that and made an editor's de- editorial decision not to go in. I don't think I would have said, I can't bring myself to go in. Well, I, I probably didn't explain <laughs> it the right Like It wasn't like I was broken. I just said, like, that... I don't know. Like No, I, I, I have to say, I got a kick out of that. I know. <laughs> I, the wording, I probably didn't word it properly as to what I was conveying. But, like, I don't know. Like, is that your thing? Like, go, hey, hey, try no, on. No, I... Hey Trayvon, can you tell me how it feels now that your career is over? Your point, your point is a valid one. No one enjoys going into those locker rooms, and there's—I don't think there's a ton for to be gained for our sites personally. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, as I said, it's a matter of if you think it's clickable content. And the good news is, is I'm the boss, so I, I made an executive decision, and I asked me, "Would you like me to go into the locker room?" And me said, "Nah, man, just get home." 
Me had a simple answer. That was, yeah, that was a that was a good business decision. How about for you? You got a final take, Rick Brewing at all? I, I will say, I mean, it sucks the way it ended for these two teams, but this tournament has been awesome. I mean, just one of the greatest sports things I've ever experienced was Friday night watching U, UMBC pull away from Virginia. I'll, Not I'll, just beat them, but dominate them. them. Yeah. And that was that was the best thing we were talking about it last night on Sports Authority. It wasn't like a fluke where there was a bad yeah, call and right. a crazy and shot. Some guy and, threw in a couple of threes, like 30-footers at the shot clock that, you know. And now it's like we saw it happen. So why, pool. why has this been so hard? Why has this seemed impossible for so many years like it was it felt legitimately like it was never going to happen and Correct. it just was it was impossible for that 16 seed to beat that one seed even though 15s had been beaten twos and made it look fairly easy in the past i don't know why it felt so impossible but after seeing a one seed get destroyed that way it's like this is what we thought basketball was coming to the line has totally been blurred there are so many good basketball players who play High-level AAU from the time they're a little middle schooler to the time that they are in college, and they the game has shifted to the point of understanding efficiency to where three-pointers and shooters are valued more so over 6'10", 7-footers. The line's been blurred. Like There are a lot of dudes out there who can play, and there's not enough scholarships at high major schools That's for all correct. of them. That's absolutely so it. it. This is, like, people are talking about, oh, the, the tournament's killing all the mid-majors because now a lot of these schools that used to be mid-majors that made the tournament aren't going to make them anymore. Yes, they are. They're Xavier and, and Butler and teams that moved up conferences because they kept winning in the tournament. The teams that used to make the tournament are still making the tournament, and they're still good. And we're going to continue to see new small schools crop up. The difference is we've had conference realignments to where some of those teams that used to be in worse conferences are now up in major conferences. There's rumblings out there that like Buffalo and, and Georgia State could be AAC targets eventually. Right. And both of those schools would be fantastic great, in the AAC. Great. And and when they make the tournament regularly, we can't just say, oh, no, no mid-majors make the tournament anymore. It's like, no, yeah, they, they gradu- moved they, up a conference. They conference. graduated from that is what they did. Yeah, like the best teams are still making the tournament, and there are still going to be plenty of mid-majors and lower seeds that make runs in this tournament, and that's why it's the best show in sports. Lastly, how about the, the buddies from Baltimore that bet 800 bucks on the money line? Got back six. Yeah. They all put up 100 bucks each, 16 grand, two grand each. And then, and then they put a thousand. The did you see what they did after as they got the money? They went and cashed it, put a thousand dollars on a on a lucky number in roulette. It won. That about that? pretty good. Yeah, that, that worked out pretty well. Yeah. All right, boys. Appreciate it very much. We'll be back next week to uh, to break down what will be the final four teams, and God knows what it's going to be. We don't know. No one knows. Nobody knows anything anymore. Appreciate Chad Brendel, Rick Roaring, all you fans. Have a good one. This is Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.